0: All right. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm taking more of me into 2019 than I had in 2018. It's probably all the holiday food I've been eating, right? I mean, are y'all done with food? Can I, this has nothing to do with the message. It's just us hanging out and talking. Um, Are you the kind of person who you're like, I feel like I've been full for two weeks, but if there's a plate of cookies and I walk by it, I have to grab one. Am I the only, is anybody else like that? Like, just do you graze? Like, have you been grazing for two weeks? Holy cow, it's been nuts. <sighs> Gym memberships will be soaring, right, in, in January. It will be great. Um, all right, so this is December 30th. This is the last Sunday of the year. My goodness gracious. And we've been doing this series called The Last Leon, um, if, if you're by chance here for the first time in this series, this was our Christmas December series, and um, what we said was we wanted to go through the Christmas story backwards, right? So uh, week one, Teen Challenge was here. We talked about uh, the why. Why did Jesus come? And we said this, the why has always been a who, right? Look at the person next to you. They're the why. They're the why. The why behind Jesus coming has always been a who. So what we said was he came. To transform us, right? And that was what was so, pop, so awesome about having Teen Challenge here is like you're, you're hearing like, wait, Jesus came to transform. That's why we celebrate at Christmas. And you're looking at a platform full of men who have been transformed, right? And, and maybe I'm sure there are a lot of us in this room that we'd say, my life today is nothing like it used to be. Right? Every now and then um, when they when feel like our faith kind of gets you ever feel like your faith gets stagnant, stale, kinda a good exercise to do when that happens is to stop and just ask yourself this question, where would I be without Jesus? And I, I tell Wendy, all oh, I have no doubt I would be somewhere in a corner rocking back and forth, right? Like I would be jacked up without Jesus. My life is totally different today. We'll talk sometimes about like, you know, what I used to do, and she'll say what she used to do, and we'll both look at each other like, I can't even picture you doing those things. That's the difference that Jesus made. Listen, he didn't come so that we could go to church. It's good that you're here, though, but he came to transform us. So week two, we talked about what? So we know why he came, though, what did he come to? And we said he came to the cross, right? He came to die. We're not transformed without the cross. There's no way around it. And then last week at Christmas, uh, the Christmas Sunday, we talked about how he came. And we said, I want to quiz you, but I'm not going to because you won't remember. It'll make me look like a bad preacher. And I need all the confidence I can get before I preach again, right? So um, he came unexpectedly, right? We said this, that he came in unexpected ways to unexpected places for unexpected people. I mean, if we're honest, the person sitting next to you, did you really think they had a shot with Jesus? Right? You're just like, there's no way. Unexpected, right? And they're thinking the same thing about you. We never expected him the way that he came. So today, you're thinking, well, that's it. That's the Christmas story. That's like from, like, before the, like what the cross did. And we're talking about the cross. And we talked about Jesus as a little, little baby. baby So God, like, like what, can we, what can we possibly talk about today? If we're doing the Christmas story backwards, what can we possibly talk about today? And so I'm going to say today we're going to answer the question, When? When was Jesus coming? And to do that, we have to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Okay? So this morning, we're going to talk about this, this is Genesis chapter 3, in the middle of possibly the worst chapter of the Bible, right? There's two people that are naked. Wait, is that why it's the worst? No, no, sin. Sin is why, right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're naked. And there's somebody else in the garden, it's a serpent, and he's gloating because he just convinced Adam and Eve to sin against God. And so sin has now entered the world. Like, imagine your best day. Have Have you experienced a day where you started great and it just turned on a dime? Have you experienced that? Imagine that day, like, times a gazillion. Adam and Eve woke up that morning. They could walk in the garden with God. They had this great relationship, no shame, no sin, nothing between them and God. And by the end of the day, everything had changed. Sin had entered the world through them. And here's what we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God promised that someone would come, a seed from Eve, and that that seed would crush the serpent's head. The serpent would strike at his heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. And so, uh, this is what's called a messianic prophecy, a messianic promise. It's the first one in the Bible. It's a big term, but all that means is there are verses in the Bible in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Well, they didn't know it was Jesus, they just knew it pointed to somebody. Somebody was going to come, he'd be the Messiah. And so, you can, um, I, I did this, I Googled, you know, like how many messianic prophecies are there in the Bible, and I've always heard like 60 plus. Um, but I was reading like some people say up to like 400. So you'll get this wide range of numbers, right? We could debate that all day long, but can we just agree on this, that we know now looking backwards that all of those pointed to Jesus, right? All of those pointed to Jesus. And so we know from that very first promise that Jesus was coming. Let me just give you a couple. uh, I just picked out like four. I'll just give you four messianic prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus um, you can jot them down if you want. They won't be on the screen. Here we go. Micah five two said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter two. Isaiah seven fourteen said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter one through Mary. Zechariah nine nine said that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey. That's a pretty specific. Prophecy, right, and then that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter twenty-one, and in Psalm forty-one nine. Here's one more: the Messiah will be, be will be betrayed by one of his followers, and that was fulfilled in Luke chapter twenty-two, through Judas. So you, you kind of get the idea, right? So the point of the the point of this morning is not to go through every one of the messianic prophecies and show you that they were fulfilled. Um, that would take some time, right? But the point of it is to make sure you know that they were fulfilled in Jesus, right? And that they also answer this question like, he was always coming. When was Jesus coming? He was always coming. He is still going to come. He was always coming. Never a doubt that the word of God would be fulfilled in Jesus. So here's here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to, instead of just going through all these different prophecies, I want to answer a very practical question. So Genesis chapter 3 is on this side of the stage, and Adam and Eve are naked, and they just sinned. And in that state, when God could have turned his back on them, the reckless love of God said, I'm going to take care of you. And someday, a seed will come from you, Eve, and he will crush the serpent's head. That's Genesis chapter 3. You with me? All the way on the other side of the platform. Aren't you glad you're on this side? Luke chapter 2, where he was born. Now, again, we don't have time to debate this. And if you want to, you can Google, like, how many years were between Genesis 3 and Luke chapter 2. And depending on people's different worldviews, you'll get different answers, right? Some will say, like, in the thousands, and some say, in the millions. The, the, The point is, can we just agree that there's a gap from here to here? Can we agree with that? Just nod your head like this, and it'll make me preach better, okay? That confused me, all right? That, that movement right there, I wasn't sure what to do with that. So, um, so there's a gap. No, no matter how many years are in here, there was a, a, a moment when a prophecy was given, and then there was a moment when it was fulfilled, okay? So here's the word that God gave me for today. I, I want to make sure that we get this. Um, the promise... He will come, and then it was fulfilled in the presence. He did come. Okay, do you see that? Promise, presence. Promise, presence. That describes a lot of us today. Without knowing all of your stories, can I just take a leap and say that there were a number of us in the room And we'll just use one year. Forget thousands or whatever. We'll just use one year. January the 1st, 2018. Some of you in this room, you feel like God gave you a promise. And here we are, December the 30th. There's still one more day after today. And you're still waiting on that promise. So all of us can relate to this gap. Yes, all of us can relate to this gap in some form or fashion We can all relate to that. And so this morning, I want to talk about what do we do in here? What do we do when we're still waiting for the promise? We know that Jesus is coming. We know his presence is coming. What do we do while we're waiting? So um, let's talk about placeholders. Let me give you the statement that God downloaded to me. And here it is. It's going to sound weird, and we're going to spend the rest of the day picking it apart. Okay? It says this, the promise is a placeholder for the presence. The promise is is a placeholder for the presence. It's okay if you just kind of go, what? And we'll figure it out, okay? The promise is a placeholder for the presence. So we know what the promise was, and we know how the presence came, so we need to talk about placeholders. The promise was there will be someone who comes from your seed, and he will crush the serpent. The presence was Jesus, right? We know those two. So, let's talk about placeholders. Um, can we just show them that, that picture? This is such a weird picture. Why are you seeing this in church, right? I don't, it's so strange. So, this is my world, or it used to be more of my world. I used to do graphic design. I was a freelancer. And so, um, this is kind of how, when I hear the word placeholder, and when God showed me, told me that, like, the promise is a placeholder for the presence, this is what I saw The placeholder image that you see, those three images. Here's what a placeholder does a placeholder, get ready for it, holds the place. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? Who would have ever imagined? In coding and in design, you put a placeholder where you know an image is going to go, but you don't know what image it is yet. Like, I need to go find an image but I know that I needed to go in that space, and so I'm going to put a blank image as a placeholder so that nothing else can get into that space. Um, so those of you that are not web designers, it's like a reserved seat, right? Um, we have some, I, I think the back row there, is, there's three reserved seats, and, and there's just a sign that says reserved. And so when you walked in, you saw those, and you were like, man, I, I kind of wish I could sit there, but it's reserved, so I'll move over one. That's what a placeholder does. A placeholder keeps the space so that nothing else can get into it. We see this with the people of God in the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15, the promise is given. And the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament, if you read it, you will find the people of God, sometimes they did it well, sometimes not so well. But what they're doing the entire Old Testament is they're just trying to keep the promise in the place. It's just the placeholder. The promise, he's going to come. He's going to come. And then they're like, wait, but we've been in Egypt forever. I know, but he said he would come. Don't forget that. He's going to come. So you see one generation... Explain to another generation. Don't forget the promise. He said he would come, but mom, dad, that was hundreds, thousands, however many years ago. And the parents are like, I know, but God's faithful. He said he would come. He's going to come. The promise is a placeholder for the presence. So they put this placeholder in their souls that said he's gonna come, and he did. So let's let's talk about kind of how, how the presence fills the place, right? Let me read you this verse. It will be up on the screen. He, Hebrews 10, 23 says this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. <laughs> I love that verse. Can we read it again? Let us hold tightly without wavering. I, mean, I don't know if you're a waver or not. I don't mean like parade wave, right? I mean like if you waver, like... He's going to do it. No, he's not. Yes, he will. No, he's not. He's great. He's bad. I mean, like, that's wavering, right? So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promise. In other words, how can we make our placeholders the strongest they can be? And here's where the whole message is going to get kind of crazy and a little bit weird because for the rest of the time, you're going to see this image on the screen that I wrote and drew into a journal, and I have the worst handwriting. So it's going to take me a little bit of time to explain what the words are. Okay, so we're going to put this up. We're going to talk, talk through this, okay? It's okay. I'll explain it. The promise is a placeholder. For the presence. And so the promise is inside that square, and the box is the placeholder that keeps the world from crowding in onto the promise so that you can continue to hold tightly without wavering because God is faithful to keep His promise. And so here's how we do that we build and strengthen the four walls around that promise. Conveniently, they all start with W. Here we go. One is the Word of God. Can we just start there, people? Can we just start with the Word of God? Listen, how much does the Word of God play in your life? Is it something you actually read every day? Or is it something that you carry with you to church on Sunday so you feel a little bit less bad about the week before when you didn't read it and have a little bit of hope that maybe the next week you will read it? Is it an integral part of your day? Do you engage and interact with the Word of God like you do with food? A couple of verses. Why it's so important. Psalm 119, 28 and 29. Here's what it says. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Here's what what the psalmist is saying. The Bible encourages us, it keeps us from lying to ourselves about the promise that God gave us. Whatever promise he gave you January 1 that still hasn't come through and true now, man, do you know the entire year you've been fighting an enemy that wants to tell you, did God really say? And the word of God, when we feel sorrowful, when we feel down, what did the psalmist say? Encourage me with your word. Not encourage me with a great Bethel playlist, and I love Bethel. Encourage me with your word, right? Because your word will, it's in Scripture, I didn't write it, keep me from lying to myself. God won't come through. That's a lie, because he will. And the word of God is what keeps that from moving in on the promise. Psalm 119, 165 those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. In the King James, we don't quote that a lot. It says this, those who love your word, nothing will offend them. How, would, how awesome would that be to live an unoffendable life? Like everybody around you can take shots at you all day long and it never offends you. And, and God's saying here through the psalmist, like the way to have an unoffendable life is be so full of the word of God that it just bounces off of you. That when 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 attacks come against the promise, it hits the word of God, that wall, that guardrail that you've built with the word of God, it just bounces right off. We want to help you in 2019. We want to help you engage with the word of God. And so we've we've brought we've we've gone to, to great lengths, we've spared no expense to hire a spokesperson to help you understand how that can happen. And she's adorable. Here she is.
1: Hey everyone, it's a new year. Let's try something new. Let's read through the Bible in 2019. We'll be using a one year reading plan by the Bible Project on our YouVersion app. It's easy, all you have to do is click this link. Don't worry, I'll leave this here and the rest of the video. The app will tell you every day what to read and a place to share with others. There's also an awesome video at the beginning of each Bible book that'll help you get the big picture. And here's three things we think will happen. One. Context, context, context. You'll understand the big picture of the Bible better because you're reading the whole thing and not just bits and pieces. Two. Unity with other believers. You'll get closer with other people reading the same as you, and you will grow and you'll walk with the Lord together. Three. You'll better understand the heart of the Father, and you'll start to have His heart more everywhere you go. You'll start to see people as He sees people, and love people like He loves people. Three things we want you to do. One, remember this isn't a competition. Or a race. It's okay if you fall behind. My daddy won't too. <laughs> There's plenty of time to catch up. You don't have to comment every day or impress anyone. Two. <laughs> Look for Jesus everywhere. Keep an eye on how the Bible points to him in every book. Everything's about redemption. Three. Find something from scripture every day to pray. Like a promise that God made. So you're praying in the Word of God. All right, have fun reading with us this year. Happy New Year's.
0: She's, She's so good. So, okay, after this service, you'll go home and you'll go to our Facebook page and there'll be a link there. You can click it. It's all done through Uversion on, on your app, on your phone. It's super simple. Um, the Bible Project is amazing. The videos that they put together. Oh, it's actually there now. That's what I meant to say. It's there now. You can do it right now. Don't listen to anything else I have to say. And you can go do it now. Uh, these are really, really good. Some A lot of you have engaged with me, I know, in the last couple of months on UVersion with their reading plans. Um, it's, it's a really good way to to get in the Bible together. Okay? So, 2019, let's get through the Bible together in a year. It'll be awesome. All right. So, that's the first one, the Word of God. Second one, the worship of God. Um, Colossians chapter 3 Verses 15 and 16. This is going to combine kind of the the first point and the second one. Okay. Here's what it says. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. How many of you would love to have peace mark you in 2019? Just see a couple. Oh, just a few hands. Okay. Y'all are doing great then. A lot of times we don't, we think, how can I have the peace of God? And it's in the next verse. And let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Depending on the, me- the translation you have, what some translations say is let the word of God richly fill your life. You have peace because you fill your life with the word of God, that first guardrail. you got a lot of word of God in you. And here's what happens. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Worshiping God is huge. If you want to guard that promise. Now, if we take the verse we just read, let me just paint a scenario for you. Imagine Sundays in worship corporately when we've all spent time in the Word of God through the week individually. Can you just imagine that? Like, I can imagine that. It would be amazing. Typically what happens is if we get to church, we spend the first few minutes of the church service repenting for all the things we didn't do the week before. Oh, God, I, I forgot to read. I meant to, God, I meant to, I meant to like sing along in the car with like Christian radio. I forgot to do all that stuff. And I did, I did other things I shouldn't have done. And we have to like get right with God before we ever even can engage with the body of Christ in worship. Could you just imagine if all that was happening during the week? If we came to church actually full of the Word of God, not needing to be filled with the Word of God. Could you just imagine what would happen in this place? It'd be amazing. We, we would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. We would teach one another from what God's put in us. You wouldn't need me to feed you one amazing meal that would last you seven days. It's a good way to die. That was a nice transition, wasn't it? <laughs> Acts, cha- Acts chapter 16, verse 25. This is a great example of how worship can change things. Um, Paul and Silas are in jail. And it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. I love that verse. Because that so describes what I'm not sure I would be doing. Right? I don't know what you would be doing at midnight in jail in in like chains and in stocks and having been whipped. I mean, I'm not sure what, I can think of a lot of things I would probably be doing and singing hymns might not be at the top of that list, but it was for them. And the other prisoners were listening, and if you've read the rest of that story, what we find out is that worship opened the door to freedom for them. It'll do the same thing for us. Like, we worship God, the worship of God actually helps guard the promise of God. So we had the Word of God, we had the worship of God. Here's number three, um, the witness of God. What is the witness of God? Um, It's community. It's unity. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but don't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, you think that people don't like to hear you sing because you don't have a good voice. It might be because the sound coming from you sounds like that. If we don't love one another, no matter what we're singing, as good as our voice is, it just doesn't sound right. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, God, I would love to understand God's secret plans. Have you ever asked God why? You ever asked God that? Like this just said, it's, if we could understand the why that we keep asking God, if we could, I mean, most of us would be like, that is the pinnacle of my faith. If I could just understand why. But, but Paul says, even if I could understand why, if I, if I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor, if I sacrificed my body, if we had the biggest big give ever, but I can't love others, I've gained nothing. So those three verses, they mention a lot of things that we can do, but there's only one thing that we must do. We must love John 13, 35, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. What I want you to see is it's the witness of God. It's the community that we have. That's the witness of God. When's the last time you invested yourself fully in that? When's the last time you stopped and thought, why can't the world get along? You ever look at social media and just be like, can we just blow the whole thing up? God does not want to blow the whole thing up. What he would like to do is he would like to have a people on the planet who love others who are nothing like them, who don't look like them, who don't talk like them, who don't like the same things that they like, and yet they love one another. And Jesus said, if you could do that, that is what will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not that, and again, super glad we're all in church today, right? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute attendance at church doesn't prove to your friends that you love Jesus. It just proves that you have a different priority with your time than they do. Being here versus at a game doesn't prove anything one way or the other. What proves that we're his disciples is that we love one another. That's it. Are you working on the witness of God? And here, four. four is the work of God. Um. The work of God is, is what He sent us to do. And this will be no shock. What He sent us to do is exactly what He was sent to do. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and told His disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this I'm with you always even to the end of the age. That is the work that we've been sent to do. Make disciples. Wherever you go, as you go, wherever you go, in your going, make disciples. Well, I can't always make it to church because sometimes I have to work. Great, make disciples there. Well, you know, like, I'm sick at home. my, My kids are sick. I'm taking care of them, so I can't make it to church today. Yeah, you can. You are the church. Make disciples. Make disciples everywhere you go. Some people don't like church, so they don't go to church. But they also don't make disciples while they're not going to church. Make disciples. That's it. That's what we're called to do because Jesus said in Luke 19.10, this is what I was sent to do. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. So if that's what he came to do, that's what we should be doing, right? So everywhere you go, how many of you, um, raise your hand if you work at a place that's different than anybody else in the room. Just raise your hand. Nobody here is your coworker. You don't have any coworkers here. Raise your hand. Keep raising them. You're thinking, you're, right now you're going. I'm thinking through like cubicle, cubicle. Yeah, no, I'm good, yeah. Do you know what that means? Those are all the locations that we get to live that out tomorrow. Wow. You're like, God, just send me on a mission trip. It's so much more fun. I totally agree. It is so much more fun than talking to your neighbor. But all those hands, the church has already been sent. The question is, like, will we do what we were sent to do, which is make disciples. We fuel the work with our time, our talent, and our treasure. So I'm going to be super practical with you. God has given you promises that have not been fulfilled by his presence yet. He hasn't fulfilled them yet. And so how do you manage the gap? Here's how you manage the gap. You build up those four walls. You build your life with the word of God, with the worship of God. You build it with the witness of God. You give yourself fully to community with other people. You give yourself to the work of God. You invest your time. You invest your talents. You invest your treasures. You don't sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else struggle to do something that God gifted you to do. You jump in and do what he gifted you to do. You don't pull out a $1 bill when you could give a 10. You invest in the work of God. You don't go home and say, oh God, please make our church better at making disciples. When you actually have the resources to help do that, you invest in that. Your time, your talent, and your treasures. So here's what I know, because I'm just like you. All of us like one or two of those walls better than the others, right? I mean, when I was a worship leader, I loved the worship of God. And I'd be like, hey, pastor, I don't think we need you to preach today. But he was the pastor, and he loved the word of God. So he's like, hey, Paul, I don't know if I need you to lead worship today. <laughs> he's probably right. It's, so we all kind of like, we're all drawn to different parts of this, right? But the truth of the matter is you can build the best witness of God and you still left three walls wide open for the enemy to come in. This is not an either or. You don't get to pick the one you like the best and ignore the other three. The Christian life is that. That's it. All four of them. That's how you guard the promise because the promise is a placeholder for the presence. And so while I'm waiting for God to come through, like I know he will because he always does, I'm going to give my life to those four areas. Now, the amazing thing is that we make it simple for you to do that at our church. Because the first two, word of God and worship of God, that's what happens when you're near God. These are phrases you've heard before. Near God, near man, making disciples. Right now, Right now, you are near God, because you're hearing the Word of God. You've engaged in the worship of God. That's what you're doing. The witness of God. Community groups. That's how you're near man. Do you know why most people don't want to go to church? It's not because they don't like church, it's because they don't think that the people in the church have changed. Because they don't see the witness of God. They don't see any community. They just see people like, it's like going to the church is literally like going to the movies. You sit as far away as you possibly can from people. You look straight ahead. If you say anything, it's, I'm fine. There's no community. We might learn in rows, but we live in circles. And so at our church, we like, hey, do community groups. Be a part of a community group. We, we talk about unity all the time and community all the time because that's the witness of God. When you can sit and eat with people who are not like you and enjoy it, that's the sign that God is moving in your life. So join a community group. They're starting back in two weeks. And then the work of God, making disciples. I am 100% convinced that the best form of disciple-making is service. 100% convinced well, I thought, I thought to be a disciple you had to memorize Scripture. It helps. It helps. It does. But I know a lot of people that can quote way more Bible than me, and I wouldn't call them disciples of Jesus. Because sometimes they're the atheists that are trying to convince me that the Bible I believe isn't true. You can learn the Bible all day long and not be followers of Jesus. I think the Pharisees proved that. They killed him. It's serving. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to give my life in service to others. That's what disciples us. Because when, I know you don't want to hear this, more about this starting next week when we have a whole month talking about relationships, right? It will be fun. But when you serve next to people, guess what happens? I get a warm, fuzzy feeling in my soul. For the first few minutes, maybe. Yeah, right? Serving with people is not that much different than working with people. And I know you're not woman and fuzzy at work all the time, right? Because there are people involved. And so when you serve with people, when you're in community with people, guess what happens? The people are used by God. You want to blame the devil, but it's God. He's, they're used by God to rub the sharp edges off of you. And that friction actually causes fire. Fire that gets shut up in our bones, fire that Jeremiah said he was weary of holding in. that's how God he makes disciples through serving. Read the Gospels, and you'll find out that the disciples didn't always like each other, but they were all disciples of Jesus. He would do crazy things like, there's a whole lot of people and a little bit of food. Why don't y'all go feed them? And let them work it out. That's how you grow. Your discipleship happens in service. So join a ministry team. Join a service team. Don't just sit there and let ministry happen around you. Be a part of it. Do one of those three. Let me just ask you this question. Like near God on Sunday mornings coming to to church. Near man, community groups, making disciples, serving on a team. Which one of those is going to be your first step into the new year? Well, I'm already doing one. I know, but one's not enough. Some Some of you are the most amazing servers I've ever seen. But worshiping God, not a priority. So you have an entire wall wide open to the enemy. The promise is a placeholder for the presence. And what God wants to do in 2019, he wants to move in your heart. I mean, he wants his presence to be full in us. And so we have to guard that through those four ways. So which one of those will be your first step? I don't know. I do know that we have cards in front of you that allow you to tell us which one you'd like to take next. So maybe you are 100% in on Sunday mornings. Man, I love Sundays. I love it. Man, I can't get enough of Sundays. I'm not sure about the community thing, but I love Sundays. And right now, God's telling you, okay, you got the Sunday thing. That's awesome. You're doing the near, the near me thing, but I want you to be near men. And maybe that's your next step. So I'm, you just when we're finishing up, you just check that card. It says, my next step is community groups. You go and meet with the Next Steps team in the lobby and say, Help. I don't know what to do, but I think I'm supposed to do something, right? So they'll help you with that. Here's how we're going to end this morning. Um, while I was praying in the back, I, I felt like the Lord really put this one verse in my heart and this one very, very practical way that we're going to end so y'all can come. We've we got to work out a, a signal. Like, you know. Um, as, as the band comes to the platform. There's a proverb, it's um, Proverbs 11.25, and it says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So um, I'm gonna, I don't want you to feel prideful, okay? So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. And, um, and specifically, I'm going to say this, specifically the group that God put on my heart this morning were servant leaders. So if you're here and you're a member of one of our servant leader teams, then however you respond in a minute, this is for you. Okay, but let me just talk to all of you first. If you, and I had you close your eyes so you wouldn't feel prideful, if you at any point in 2018 refreshed somebody else, would you just raise your hand? At any point in 2018, at any point in the last year, you did something that refreshed somebody else. Would you just raise your hand? Okay. Next question. If you at any point, especially those of you that raised your hands, if you at any point in the last year did something to refresh others but found yourself going, God, I'm so empty, then this promise is for you. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You gave, but you're still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And I want to pray over you this morning that you would step into 2019 with all the confidence in the world that God's going to fulfill in you what he said he would do. So if you raise your hand, you're like, man, I, I want to be refreshed. I've, I'm, I'm giving myself. I'm giving of myself. And I, I just want to be refreshed. I'm going to ask you to be bold. and I'm going to ask you to stand. We're all going to stand in a minute. But I'm going to ask you to stand specifically and come down to the front so we can pray over you as this year ends. Why don't you all stand? We're going to sing a song together anyway and to make it easier for people to get out. Whole lot of hands. Let's just be little kids coming to dad. If you're a servant leader here, there's no shame in saying I'm a servant leader and I'm, I need to be filled. And you want to be just filled. Man, you're giving yourself and giving and giving. And you want to be filled. I want you to come to the front as well. And the worship team is going to sing, I I think, the song that we sang earlier that talks about Here Comes Heaven. I I love that. Is that right? I love that song because here it's a promise, right? When is he coming? He was always coming, and he is always coming. So when's he going to do in you what you want? He's going to do it. When's he going to do it? Uh, We don't always know that, but we know that he is and he will. And so as, as they sing this song, man, we're singing it over you, okay? If you've got a friend that's come down to the front and you want to come hang out with them and pray, man, please, don't wait for me to ask you. You just come and get with them. And we think people need to be surrounded when they're at the altar. So um, I'm going to put the mic down. They're going to start singing. I'm going to pray over you. And I'll come back in a little bit and we'll close this out. Please, if you didn't come to the front, words are on the screen. Sing this with them. Can we just end this year singing this over them? Let them hear your voice.